Hey listeners, these are your hosts Daman Tiwana and Khyati Thakur and welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast where each month we discuss our favorite books and how we experience them. Today we are discussing a work of fiction and my favorite novel of all time, A Thousand Splendid Suns, written by my favorite author Khalid Hosseini. Khalid Hosseini is known for his three best-selling books, The Kite Runner, which was also made into a movie, A Thousand Splendid Suns and and The Mountains Echoed. And I have been waiting for his fourth book for a very long time now. Me too. Yeah, why doesn't he write it already? I don't know. <laughs> In this episode, we will share little glimpses from the book and discuss how we found the life and the characters relatable or not. Yeah, or not. <laughs> Okay so I'm already eager to discuss this so I'll just talk about the protagonists first the protagonists in this story are two women Maryam and Leila both born in different generations in a war torn Afghanistan now what i personally like about this book is that first of all a male author wrote about the struggles of two female protagonists and he has done it so beautifully like there have been moments when i have cried thinking about these two women secondly Why I really love this book is that it gives me an insight into what happened in Afghanistan. A country that was so forward thinking, so developed at one point, completely came crashing down. Now, you could definitely read about the nation's history on Wikipedia or you could read this book and go on a beautiful, sad, emotional journey with Maryam and Leila and get an inkling of how these events really affected the people who were living there at that time. I totally agree with you Kathy. I would not have imagined Afghanistan being that forward at any point given what we have seen or heard about that country during our lifetime, right? Going through the story with Leila and Maryam and learning what was Afghanistan like in those times was kind of an eye opener for me personally. Yeah, I know. And then finally what I like about his writing and his stories are that it just touches your heart and they create a sense of responsibility in you about refugees their lives their struggles and it actually compels you to do something about it he's basically spreading awareness about the country about the state of his country through his novels not just his novels though did you know he's also very actively involved with the UN and does a lot of work for refugees Yeah, you know, I I came across his Instagram profile recently of and Of course. <laughs> given how much time I spent on Instagram, and then I got to know about all the work that he has been doing. This was the first Husseini book that I read, and then I went back and read all of his other books. And you know, each and every one of the novels is as heart-wrenching as this one and as beautiful and heartfelt as this one. Also, I would like to give our listeners a disclaimer. be prepared to experience a roller coaster of emotions when you read this book without wasting any more time let's just jump to the story now the story begins with maryam maryam is an illegitimate child of jalil and nana jalil lives in herat a city in afghanistan and is a big businessman he gets his house help which is nana pregnant unable or unwilling to face the consequences of what he has done but still utterly ashamed of it He puts Nana in a remote part of the village called Guldaman. Maryam is Nana's daughter who's growing up in Guldaman. That's how the story of Maryam's life begins. The first sentence in the book is Maryam was 5 years old the first time she heard the word harami. And it made me think how old was I when I heard this word? 
for those who don't understand the word it means a bastard child i was just remembering that i was i would have been probably 7 or 8 years old or maybe even younger words like harami they were so normalized in the society when i was growing up that i didn't even feel they were like curse words or something yeah like, i i agree with you like in india indian society is kind of like that <laughs> but you still knew right it's not a good word but it somehow was in that gray area that it's not a serious curse word for sure and many years later i would learn what that word actually means and how hurtful it can actually be to someone when you say words like that yeah you know i didn't even know the meaning of the word till now like till i read this book wow so. you escaped the society for too long i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess thankfully or not thankfully i don't know yeah, i think it's a good thing <laughs> ignorance is bliss sometimes <laughs> so there's a sentence in the book about her being a harami that she thinks to herself it was the way nana uttered the word not so much saying it as spitting it at her that made mariam feel the full sting of it that's how these slurs work don't they you don't really need a dictionary to understand that there's a strong contempt behind it yeah i think i get it i get what you mean and another thing that bugs me so much is that why are these kids being called harami or something there's a man who abandoned a woman with his child yet he goes on with his life unaffected unaccused he gets called no names while the child is harami and the woman is a immoral characterless woman and the perfect example for this is jalil mariam's father here who already has three wives and nine children is a rich man society accepts him while mariam and her mother are outcasts I I see what you mean and Jalil is clearly the bad guy who did a bad thing and didn't even take responsibility for it. You can see the extent of patriarchy in this. Although from another perspective, not to give him any credit, but he still feels a little responsible for Maryam. Like he comes to visit her sometimes, he tries to make her happy with his stories. You get a sense of sense that even though he is not strong enough to accept them because of society he still cares a little bit about what he has done and maybe it's true that it's his idea of penance you know jalil is one example of what i love about hosseini's writing time and again they show this idea of his penance right which is mostly heard from nana's perspective so there is a lot of bitterness of course but to me at times it seemed like he's a man who's caught between two worlds yeah he cannot accept her because then his in-laws would probably beat him up he will lose all social standing and there would be a lot of discord in that world and i don't think he could justify that as being worth standing up for his house help right maybe the society is to blame for all of this in the end is it it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i also see like a soft side maybe an ounce of some moral values in him that he keeps coming back he builds their house all on his own i think because we know that in that society he could have easily done none of it and it would have been okay that's why i feel like there's this good side to him as well we also know that nana had no one to support her her father great support right he fled the scene as soon as he found out that his daughter was pregnant and i know she was just left to fend for herself so in those moments you realize that jalil however absent he is or whatever his role in his whole fiasco is he's still there in some ways 
Right. And you can also see more growth in Jalil's character in the later years, right? Yeah. Like in the later point in the yeah. novels, you can see that. And since we are talking about Maryam's parents here, Jalil and Nana, it's important to talk about Nana and her relationship with Maryam. What do you think about Nana's character? Nana's life is so full of hardships. Like she was betrayed by the man she probably loved once. Um, her dreams, if she ever had any, were crushed because she got pregnant. And since it was an illegitimate pregnancy, she was left to raise a child all on her own in a remote part of the village. She definitely, a woman at that point, will be depressed like she is. And she blames everyone around her. She's full of hatred for Jalil. But, you know, you at some points, you also get a hint that she still craves for his attention. Like whenever Jalil comes to visit Mariam, and he even if he looks at her like in a very in a very sneaky way she she would blush yeah there were there were flavors of that yeah and then and there is that is so i feel like that is so reflective of the woman in every part of the society like how they crave for a man's attention even when the man has put them down so many times in their lives and there are so many examples of that around us as well yeah maybe next podcast we should just discuss that <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of nana i think it's also important to note that she was an outcast from society from probably when she was like a teenager when she got pregnant and she has lived alone with so much of shame self-inflicted and then society plays a big role right and after she got pregnant she's completely isolated i cannot even imagine what it would be like to live so cut off, so isolated. I would probably kill myself. Oh no, <laughs> have I given too much away? <laughs> My God, so morbid already. <laughs> we have just started the book, Kathy. Hold on. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like, no wonder you would see all these signs of depression, bitterness, anger, right? If you have lived like that. A lot of it is justifiably directed at Jalil, I feel. Because he, he has a big role in this. But I just feel bad for Mariam that she's the one who lives with Nana most of the time and she gets most of that bitterness and anger towards her. Yeah. Nana was clearly depressed and we see how it actually affected Mariam's life even more in that moment and in the years to come. You know, it reminded me of something I read probably on Instagram somewhere. Oh, wow. Instagram <laughs> to the rescue. <laughs> that children inherit the work that their parents did not do. And I believe that it's really true, especially when it comes to mental health. If parents are not taking any responsibility for themselves to get any help they need or adopt any changes in their life, there's a lot of cleanup that children have to do later. Or or the other option is they can just follow the same patterns and continue generation after generation. That's a very, that's a very beautiful quote, actually. Or advice or whatever you read on in Instagram. <laughs> but it, it is a beautiful way of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it does affect Mariam. She's young, but she's isolated as well. Like, she doesn't even have kids her age to play with her. Her only contact with the outside world is Jalil's random visits. And she wants to learn and go to school, but Nana once again discourages her. Nana says, it's our lot in life, Mariam. Women like us, we endure. It's all we have. I hated that. I hated it so much. It's like, no matter what Nana's experience was, she already told Mariam that is the best she's going to get in life. I know. How damaging that is. Yeah. 
And Mariam just grows up like that, having all these desires put down by her own mother. At one point, we see her breaking a little bit. Like, you know, you, do you remember like when on her 15th birthday, she asks Jalil to take her to his cinema to watch this new Hollywood movie yeah. that has come up? And Jalil agrees. But Nana is very angry with Mariam for this. There's a huge fight that ensues between Mariam and Nana. Yeah, I think a lot of Nana's anger was just towards Jalil, but Mariam would keep getting it over and over. And it's so difficult to be a child caught between this. And I I just want to read one thing that happens after this fight. It's something um, Nana says to Mariam. Of all the daughters I could have had, why did God give me an ungrateful one like you? Everything I endured for you. How dare you abandon me like this, you treacherous little Harami. And then she also says, What a stupid girl you are. You think you matter to him? That you are wanted in his house? You think you are a daughter to him? That he's going to take you in? Let me tell you something. A man's heart is a wretched, wretched thing, Mariam. It's not like a mother's womb. It won't bleed. It won't stretch to make room for you. I'm the only one who loves you. I am all you have in this world, Mariam. And when I'm gone, you'll have nothing. You will have nothing. You are nothing. And then she also says, I will die if you go. I'll have one of my fits. You will see. I'll swallow my tongue and die. Don't leave me, Mariam. Please stay. I will die if you go. Yeah, this was... The biggest fight that Nana and Mariam had. And I was so mad at Nana for this. I know. And you know what? This was so reflective of a very prevalent dynamic of South Asian upbringing to me. How parents use guilt to control or shame their children. You know, they act like they did some great favor by bringing their children up. Oh, don't even start me on that. I think it's just so unfair how they use all this guilt tripping. Like, it's so destructive for your growth, independence. And sometimes I feel like maybe the bottom line of it is they want the children codependent and like eternally grateful and indebted to them. How Nana says like, I'll die if you go. These these kind of death threats, it's also not unheard of. Like, Honestly, suicide is not easy and it's not a thing that you should be lightly throwing around. But there have been so many cases I've heard where parents like emotionally blackmail their children to marry their parents' choice or not go for quote-unquote love marriage. It's all just a pattern of control. I think you're you're absolutely right. Like I'm also not unaware of how guilt tripping our parents do to their kids but that's how it is you know we have been raised like that and now we can never get emotionally blackmailed by any other guilt trip <laughs> they have scarred us for life yeah i guess you know what what doesn't kill you make you stronger or something. <laughs> yeah anyhow mariam does find some courage to defy her mother's control at this point and sadly she believes in her father's empty promises on the other hand then she just finds herself betrayed and motherless. Yeah, so just to give you some context of what Daman, Daman just said, Mariam was waiting for Jalil to show up on her birthday to take her to the cinema, but Jalil doesn't come. So Mariam decided to go to Herat all by herself to Jalil's house. And that's when Mariam and Nana had this huge fight. Now, here you can see that she acted like a typical teenager. 
she is obviously tired of her mother's bickering and constant abuses for her father a father who she adores and yeah. believes is the best person in the world yeah she found jalil's house in herat and when his driver told her that jalil is not at home she waited one whole night for him to return she could do anything for the people she loved but for the first time she sees jalil for who he really is and how empty his promises were heartbroken she runs back to nana only to find that nana had killed herself there was such a sad point in the book and like in mariam's story i was so mad at nana and probably even more at jalil yeah you know like i think nana is basically a representation of women in third world countries she fell in love with a businessman who got her pregnant abandoned her she of course went into depression lost all hope and she wasn't brave enough because she was never taught how to be brave to do anything about it she's basically that breed of women who would endure and endure and never raise their voice against the atrocities being done to them the idea that they are a failure was put into their minds by the society itself and when the only thing that was forcing her to live which was mariam went away from her or as she put it betrayed her she didn't have anything to live for she felt abandoned and that's when she might have decided to take her own life so much of this just goes back to society again and again it's all the conditioning that we get growing up right like whether you are a failure or whether you are powerful it's all something the seed has been planted really young i know yeah all of this speaking of mariam was really unfair to her she had this huge burden to bear now like imagine being a young teenager and to just keep hearing your mother's voice i will die if you go i don't think you can ever rid of that what is even worse is that now mariam has to go and live in jalil's house yeah in in like span of a day her life is turned upside down this father she used to adore she looked up so much to him but now she sees that he is not what he showed himself to be and she hated her mother over the years because she loved her father and her mother did not agree and she was so angry with her all the time but now when she realizes there was truth in nana's words her mother is not there anymore and i know and i don't know how you would process such a big change like what does a person hang on to at this point yeah like a 15 year old girl i don't know you know it doesn't get easy for mariam from here like while mariam was in the morning phase still jalil's wives had other plans they wanted her to get married 15 years it is a good age for girls to get married who are not their daughters yeah because their own 15 year old daughters are being sent to school and preparing for universities Well, Mariam is obviously not welcome by rest of Jalil's family. She is this reminder of their husband's disgrace. So they plan to get her married to an older man, Rashid. It's so sad that one last time she again sort of looks at Jalil for support, but at the same time you see that she has kind of given up on him and she doesn't expect any more. She did have a moment of revenge though with Jalil. She tells him that she used to worship him and he says that he will come to visit her, but she said that she doesn't want him to. That's probably no closure, but it's all they'll have for a long long time. You see that she has given up. She just gets married and goes to Kabul with her husband. All right, then let's discuss more of the book after this short break. 
let's continue our discussion kyati speaking of her husband enter rashid rashid is a 45 year old shoemaker who lives in kabul he was married once but his wife died during childbirth and his son sank in a lake he is basically interested in marrying maryam because he wants another child more precisely a son that's all that he wants from this marriage also just to specify again maryam is 15 years old and rashid is 3 times her age you know i have to tell you something the way rashid's first impression has been described through maryam's eyes make it actually seem like beauty and the beast where rashid obviously is the beast <laughs> tall thick bellied broad shouldered smelling of cigarettes they get married and actually that moment where maryam looks at rashid after the wedding and thinks to herself this is the face of my husband my heart just broke at this point it was so disheartening i expected a different rashid altogether when i was reading the book for the first time i mean like okay 45 years old but handsomer <laughs> like you know a tall dark handsome white haired man oh my god you you have been watching too many movies i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's what movies have done to us this is this is too close to real life damn it speaking of real life for her the first week in kabul maryam goes out to fetch water and she is swarmed by the women of the village all of them start inquiring about her where she's from you see that interest in a new young bride but what's funny or i don't know sad is that within a span of few minutes the conversation just goes from her hometown to whether she would want a boy or a girl <laughs> and they just start telling her you know unsolicited advice that boys better because they take the family name ahead but on the other hand girls stay back and take care of parents all of this sounded so familiar to me because we have seen and heard undertones of this in life around us don't even get me started on that i have recently just had a huge fight with my mom on this exact same topic <laughs> okay i guess i'll not touch on that <laughs> A week into their marriage, her husband reminds her that she needs to start acting like a wife and that this is not a hotel. So she spends all day cleaning and cooking, but he comes home and notices nothing, takes all of it for granted, obviously. She is so disappointed that he does not notice the clean windows, the floor she swept and, you know, the missing cobwebs in the house. But then he notices the food. and gives her sort of a backhanded compliment on it and she's just happy with that in the beginning rashid looks like a rational guy like he doesn't like to see women cry he doesn't believe in superstition he doesn't make any moves on maryam and i was like yes this could work for maryam they could become great friends or something but you know again movies and like all my hope is destroyed he gives her a burqa to wear because he thinks that a woman's face is her husband's business only a woman is a man's pride and honor as he puts it i should just read exactly what he says to her i have customers maryam men who bring their wives to my shop the women come uncovered they talk to me directly look me in the eye without shame they wear makeup and skirts that show their knees sometimes they even put their feet in front of me the women do for measurements and their husbands stand there and watch they allow it they think nothing of a stranger touching their wife's bare feet they think they are being modern men intellectuals on account of their education i suppose they don't see that they are spoiling their own nang and namus their honor and pride 
but I'm a different breed of man, Mariam. Where I come from, one wrong look, one improper word, and blood is spilled. Where I come from, a woman's face is her husband's business only. I want you to remember that. I want to slap Rashid right now. I know. Traditions and customs, I can understand. Each place has their own tradition, culture. But what I don't get is the way these are imposed on women only. The way all of the weight of this so-called honor is put on women's shoulders. All freedom is just stripped away. Be it under any fear or, you know, this pretense of caring. I hate that so many women don't get to choose. And that is exactly what happened to Mariam. She wears the burqa and the next day Rashid takes her to show her around Kabul. Now, let's take a moment to talk about Mariam here. She's 15 years old. You would think that she might have learned a lesson by now, that everyone is somehow selfish. But she hasn't. Rashid compliments her food and she swoons about it. Rashid gives her a shawl and she thinks that it's a true gift. Maybe it is a true gift, but she's so eager to ignore all the red flags about him. You can also see that she does have a sense of what she's missing. In Kabul, when they visited the rich part of town, she saw that women were not wearing burqas there. Women were wearing skirts and they were going to offices. It does make her realize how her life has turned out to be, which is a very sad realization. She does aspire to be like them at some level, but she also knows that it's not possible for her. The day when he takes Mariam out to show her Kabul, you almost feel hopeful. Despite the fact that she's being made to be a certain way to appease him, wearing burqa, hiding herself from people, you see that she does start enjoying their day. She eats things she has never before. She's seeing all these new places. And you can't help but feel hopeful for her. No, I, I lost all hope. <laughs> I lost all hope. <laughs> Long back. <laughs> but... I, I did feel like slightly hopeful that even though it's a marriage to a stranger who's controlling and critical, remembering that in that society, in the environment, in the way she got married, this is probably the best that could be, that a person has a good side to them and that life would be better from the one she had to leave behind. And about the part that you said she would have learned by now and why is she trusting Rashid, I feel like her naivety was part her age and also... Partly Jalil. This is the only man she knew. The only man that was kind of a role model for her. And in the end, she just saw all this emptiness. So in comparison, some of Rashid's actions could just seem more sincere to her. Yeah, I can see that. But, you know, sadly, that's also not true. In the same day, we see a different side of Rashid when that night he rapes her. I don't even want to call it anything else because it was rape. I'm sure she didn't think of it like that. She thinks that a husband is supposed to do that to his wife. What's even more appalling to me is that whole like monologue he gives her about this is what marriage is and this is what they're supposed to do. There's no need for shame. This is what wife's duties are. What is that? I also remember there's another part of the book where they showed Mariam's cleaning the house and she finds some pornographic magazines and is obviously shocked. And she questions in her mind, what about all his talk of honor, his disapproval of female customers who were only showing him their feet to get fitted for shoes? Why did he insist that Mariam covers herself when he thought nothing of looking at private areas of other men's wives and sisters? Funnily enough, in her mind, Immediately, there's an explanation that he's a man. He has his needs. 
Yeah, now it's very interesting how her mind works or let's just say that how women minds work. She's obviously devastated but then she quickly rationalizes it by thinking that he has been living alone all these years and men are like that. Isn't this exactly what every woman has done at one point or another in their lives? Yeah, we 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 hear it all our life, right? Men will be men, boys will be boys, and this is exactly the same thing how I see it. On top of that, another way that she rationalizes is like right after she finds pornographic magazines in his drawer, she also finds a photo of his son. Then she starts imagining how he drowned, and then of course she starts pitying Rashid. For the first time, it seems she thinks that she can develop a kinship with her husband. Yeah, and we can see that she starts making more efforts at her marriage despite the things she sees clearly in Rashid, and soon she finds out she's pregnant. When she tells Rashid, he's so sure that it's a boy, and he starts building a crib for a child which he is sure is a boy. He buys clothes for a boy, thinks of all home improvements for a boy. And you can see how Maryam is sort of burdened by that. She was happy about her pregnancy, but this expectation that she has to give him a son was actually weighing on her. Sadly, she has a miscarriage. And this is another part of the book where you can just see how beautiful the writing is. And the way Hosseini portrays the contrast between those two bus rides, the one where they found out she was pregnant and the one after her miscarriage, the contrast is so stark. You can see it all happening right in front of your eyes and this is one of the many examples of why i love his writing so much oh that's a very good observation you know really the way he writes loss grief the whole spectrum of emotion that mariam goes through guilt shame sadness depression anger whether at herself rashid or god you actually feel it you really really feel it and while Maryam is dealing with all these feelings, uh, you can see that Rashid also is having a tough time. But the way both of them deal with it is so reflective of that culture. Maryam turns her anger inwards. She blames herself. She tries to process all of it alone. That's how women deal with anger and depression and sadness, you know. They always blame themselves. I feel it's more of a societal thing, the conditioning, more than it's men or women. I think... Our brains are not that different. And you can see that in Rashid, right? He is clearly angry at her. He's just sulking, not speaking with her, finds faults with everything, complains about the mess in the house, and basically being a very unsupportive, inconsiderate husband. I don't know about you, when I was reading the book, I didn't expect him to be any different. Because that would just be too good to be true. I believe it is because of the social and cultural conditioning. This is a sad thing for both parents. But the way one gender is expected to behave versus the other determines so much of these reactions. And men can be angry. In fact, they're expected to be, right? That's what they do. Anything yeah. happens, men are angry. And women are made to believe that there's no room for anger or any other inconvenience from their side. So they just endure silently. And all that anger goes in words. They just suffer alone. And then people have these stereotypes like... Women are more prone to anxiety and depression. Yeah, that's actually very true. What's even sadder is it keeps happening again and again to Maryam. Four years into their marriage, she has had seven miscarriages. Rashid yeah, that's doesn't... that's so sad. I know. On top of that, Rashid, her husband, doesn't talk to her nicely anymore. She can sense the resentment in his tone. At this point, I think he's just abusive towards her. 
and she's just enduring all of it out of this fear she has and the guilt that she's not been able to give him his son this is her life at this point and in the background we see that afghanistan wasn't getting any better for her this was 1978 in afghanistan which was a war zone the soviets had taken over the government the nation was now called democratic republic of afghanistan this is also the year when leila our second protagonist was born the soviets ruled for almost a decade one good thing that soviets did was providing education for all women women had more rights than they had ever had before and they could study law engineering medicine and take up jobs after then we get to know from the book that 6 months later the russians signed a treaty and left afghanistan now this kind of shows how volatile the political situation of the country was it has also been mentioned how freedom was the reason why now people were rebelling against the rule because it went against their old traditions communists had decrees to liberate women abolish forced marriage to raise the minimum marriage age to 16 for girls and all of this men saw as an insult to their tradition that decade i think was definitely a good time to be a woman in afghanistan and these were the times in which our second protagonist lela was growing up we are introduced to her life when she's about 9 years old in 1985 i think lela and mariam are generations apart and we see a big contrast in their family backgrounds lela's family is complete opposite of rashid's idea of how a family should be lela's mom fariba is clearly the commander in their house which is so unlikely in that kind of setup she's as close as it gets to a modern woman in this book and lela's father is a contrast to all other men so far i feel he's a sweet natured well read progressive and humble person who wasn't much good at the manly tasks like home repairs and obviously would get a lot of heat for not conforming to his gender roles at this point there was this soviet afghan war going on in afghanistan in which lela's two older brothers were fighting and lela has a best friend who's a boy called tariq which in itself should tell you how unorthodox her parents are for the late 80s in afghanistan i think tariq's lela's best friend soulmate everything they have been together since lela was born and since lela's brother went for war when she was 2 years old tariq has been closest to a family member she has known apart from her parents their family is very unorthodox like even in school lela learns to not wear hijab if she doesn't want to she has teachers who don't believe in suppressing women's voice and unlike her friends moms lela's dad doesn't want to get lela married anytime soon he wants her to focus on her education i love this quote that he says to her when this war is over afghanistan is going to need you as much as its men maybe even more because a society has no chance of success if its women are uneducated lela no chance and lela herself was very ambitious she wanted to pursue her education she didn't want to get married unlike her friends so you can see the contrast in mariam's and lela's upbringing yeah and when you read lela's story after you have read mariam's it honestly feels like coming up for air her supportive and forward thinking parents and presence of friends and companions in life all that laughter happiness it's so opposite from what mariam's life has been but you know sadly even for lela it starts to change lela was 11 years old when soviets completely left afghanistan and now the mujahideens were coming to power that means the taliban 
Afghanistan was now called the Islamic State of Afghanistan. Now there was a war going on between different Mujahideen groups and this was probably the most dangerous war of terror. There were rocket blasts every day. People were dying every day because of this war. Mujahideen groups, they were now called warlords, were roaming around the cities, spreading terror among the locals. Women were being raped and murdered everywhere. Over time, the streets became so unsafe for girls that her father dropped Lela out of school. Yeah, Kabul was totally changed now. And because of the way things were, everybody fled the land to safer places if they could. And we see that Tariq also plans to leave Afghanistan with his family. Lela's family had also been discussing, but her mom did not want to leave. So at this point, when Tariq is leaving, Lela knows that she cannot go with him. And they are filled with all this sadness, rage and emotion. And they have sex for the first time. Yay! It's kind of sad that eventually her mom agrees, but wouldn't it be nice if they could have convinced her at the same point and they could all leave together? That would be too Bollywood-like. <laughs> the day when they're finally leaving, all three of them are taking just what is essential to them. Her dad is standing in front of the study and he says, You know the old bit, you're on a deserted island, you can have five books, which do you choose? So I have a question for you now. No, don't ask me this question. <laughs> Which five books would you choose? That's really hard for me. Um, okay, I'll give it a shot. A Thousand Splendid Sons. Bell Jar. And, and Harry Potter books. Okay, so I guess I went nine books already. Oh my god, that's I, too many books. <laughs> I don't want to play this game. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll accept the answer. Going away from this hard, hard question... They do pack up the place to leave and the same day there's a blast in their house. Daman, let's end the discussion at this cliffhanger. We will continue the rest of the story in our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod. And if you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on Instagram. Keep listening! Keep listening.